Hi. You doing good? Good, good. What a gorgeous day. And uh, I'm glad you're here. I, I do love Christmas Eve. It's like one of my, I have to say, I mean, I like every weekend, but that is probably, if I had to pick one favorite, Christmas Eve services are, are it. And it's, it's a lot to do with just how it feels in the room. I see families who gather with all their kids. In some cases, it's like three rows, you know, of family. And I know there are people who don't usually go to church here on Christmas Eve. And I, I love the opportunity that we have as a church to bless them, pray over them, encourage them. And so, and I'm, I'm practicing with the candle. That's like one of my favorite things is seeing those candles go up. So anyway, we're, we're delighted. We're going we're gonna to pray for the people who, who come in. Let me just say one thing about that. You know, we had, we had a, a, we always have like record attendance on Christmas Eve. It's just crazy. And so that's why we need your help. But beyond all that, we have a lot of people who come here that really don't go to church anywhere on Christmas Eve, and it's a, a tradition, it's a family thing, and uh, moms and dads, and mostly moms and grandmas, they drag their kids and grandkids to church, and if you love me, you'll come to church on Christmas Eve, that kind of thing. And so we do end up with a lot of people in here that really don't walk in, in true relationship with Jesus Christ, and we're very aware of that, and, and they're, it's not that they're anti, but we do have an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to just like plant that seed. You know what I mean by that? Just that moment where something could change in that life, in that moment. And so be on your best behavior. <laughs> what I mean by that, what I mean by that is offer your seat if it's overcrowded. We, we actually had a story. It's been over a decade ago, and the person's no longer even in our state. But they, they, they came in and asked someone, they said to them, do you come here all the time? And they said, no, this is our, we just can't come on Christmas Eve. And she said, well, could you please move? Because I come here all the time, and this is where I sit. <laughs> really? Fortunately, we had a Timberliner who saved the day and said to the family, here, sit in our seats. And they, they gave up their four seats with their family to let that family sit there. And so I just, I just want to make sure that you guys realize we're doing this for a kingdom reason not just because it's cool to hold up a candle, right? You with me? Okay, so, so there you go. Just pay attention. Yeah, it's, good. it's a good thing. Anyway, I get to talk about Silent Night. It's a great song, and I, I'm looking forward to sharing. This song has some huge ramifications in history, so we are going to look like kind of the first part of the message is sort of a historical view of this song, and then... I really want to break it down to the application. Like, what does it mean to live these words? And so I, I, want, to, I want to just uh, jump into Luke chapter 2 here in a second. If you have a Bible and you're turning there, it'll be on the screen. Let me just mention that Pastor Jeff uh, has his Bible notes that uh, Bonnie and I love them. It's a daily devotional that you read through. Some of you have them. They all arrived, and we have them in our bookstore. I think it's for the first four months of 2023. So if you want to pick those up, you can do so. In Luke 2, we have this story. It's an epic story. It's kind of the passage that we read around Christmas. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
They were terrified. How many times in the Christmas story do angels show up and scare people half to death? And then they always have this statement, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. It's like, well, then don't sneak up on me. You know, I would be like, okay, enough of that. Stop scaring me. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, that, that phrase right there is huge in a Jewish mindset. Messiah has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast heavenly host and the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. I'd like for you to just say that with me if you don't mind. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. That, that peace on earth part is what the song Silent Night is all about. And I suppose if there's a, 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 a one thing that I want you to really put in your heart today is what does peace and living in peace mean to you? And do you have it? Sometimes we get this idea that peace is something that's vague, it's out there, and boy, I'm, I'm lucky if it'll ever come to me. But I wanna propose today that this kind of a silent night, this peaceful moment, can be a lifestyle that you live in if you put your faith and your trust and your hope in the God who created you. It doesn't mean all your circumstances are easy or that you don't have any situations that aren't stressful. It just means that when you face those, you find a way to offer that back to the God who made you. So that's where we're going today. A couple points in the beginning are real fast. Number one, if you're following along in your outline or on the app or whatever, is just the song itself. This song, Silent Night, is one of the oldest Christmas carols um, ever, and it has a, a record uh, that, that it's known by. It's the most of something. You can, can you guess what it might be? It's the most recorded Christmas song in all of history. Every band, every group, everyone who does a Christmas album, whatever, they will have Silent Night on there. And one thing about this song is you'll notice you play it on your playlist sometime if you have a playlist around Christmas. When this song comes on, it's rarely real peppy and exciting and, you know, high tempo. It's quiet. It's peaceful, it's powerful, it's thought-provoking, it's sobering. It, it wants to get in your skin and make you sit down and close your eyes and say, wow, peace on earth. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit today. Really simple song. I think each verse takes like 26 seconds uh, to sing. So it's, it's a real simple, easy song, but it's very profound in the lyrics that it has. The second thing in your outline is... There's a story behind the song, and I want you to be familiar with that story a little bit because it'll make it a little more meaningful as I tell you some of the other things that happen in, in history. But this whole song started, Silent Night, it was, it was first performed on a Christmas Eve, which I thought was fitting, in 1818. How ironic, the name of the church was St. Nicholas Parish. 
in Abendorf, a village in Austria. A young Catholic priest, Father Joseph Moore, had come to Abendorf the year before, and he was an assistant priest there. Now remember, this is, this is during a time when all the Napoleon Wars had just wrapped up. It was violent. People were trying to take over land masses and all this stuff was happening. And so he decided to write a poem. And Silent Night was first a poem in 1816. And then he asked a friend of his, Xavier Gruber, if he would put it to music. So in 1818, Gruber put it to music. And it was interesting that he asked Gruber to make the melody and write the notes out for a guitar. And Gruber said, why? And he said, well, we've had some flooding in the river, and the church organ has been flooded, and it doesn't work, because the organ was the instrument back in the day. And so he wrote it so that a guitar could accompany it. And just a side note of history that I thought was interesting is that church was eventually completely destroyed by flooding, and then when they rebuilt it, they renamed it because of this song and the impact of this song, they renamed it the Silent Night Chapel. <laughs> so that's, that's how it's known. From there, families, uh, two families mostly, the Strassers and the Rainers, they were folk singers and had their kids involved and they traveled around countries singing, performing in front of different groups. They performed in front of uh, some pretty famous people like in like uh, Franz I of Austria, Alexander I of Russia. And then they actually made their way to New York City and Silent Night was first performed in 1839 in New York City. But over the years, there was kind of a controversy about the manuscripts because they had been lost. Moore's name was kind of forgotten and Gruber's name was associated, but no one knew the context. And so this song... Uh, if you looked it up in something that was like early 90s or, or before, you would find that this song was credited to someone like Mozart or Beethoven, or Bo, uh, Beethoven. and, and you, would, you would see that a lot of people didn't really know Moore and Gruber, but they found a manuscript, and it was discovered in 1995. That's pretty recent. How many of you were alive? 1995, Right? I was just a boy back in 1995, but I remember this happening. 1995, and this note was found in Moore's handwriting, and the researchers actually dated this paper 1820, which fits exactly. And this, this note talked about how he wrote a poem, asked Gruber to put it to music in 1818, and that they sang it in this little church in Austria. So, so it has quite a, a history, and now if you look it up, you can find all kinds of details about the history of this song. But kind of to the real meaning of the song, the third point I want to bring is this, the need for peace within. This song invokes peace in people's minds and hearts. When you sing it, it just makes you feel restful. The melody is easy, it flows easily, and you kind of can sing it out and just think about the words as you are singing them. But let me tell you a story that happened in history that some of you may have heard of before in World War I. This song became super famous before this, but this 
song is really known for this. How many of you know where I'm going with this story? It's a powerful story. Some of you have heard it. If you haven't heard it, you'll, you'll be interested. It was a, a crisp, clear morning over 100 years ago. Thousands of British, Belgian, and French soldiers put down their rifles from their foxholes, which they had close battlefields back in the day. This isn't, you know, miles away. This is hundreds of feet away. And they literally walked out of their trenches and they spent a Christmas day together without gunshots. A hundred years plus since, this event is kind of viewed as a somewhat of a miracle, a rare moment of peace, and people can't really figure it out because this war, you know how many people died in that war? Over 15 million. It's, that's a number it's hard to even comprehend. But this one day, this song brought peace. What actually happened on that Christmas Eve, 1914, was that there was a singer named Walter Kirchhoff. He was German, and he was part of the Berlin Opera. And he was in a foxhole with the Germans, and he started to sing some Christmas carols. They would sing one, and then in the other trenches on the other side, the English would start to sing one of their Christmas carols. And this went on for two or three songs, and then history says that Kirchhoff started singing in German the song Silent Night. And he also knew it in English because of how he had performed it in the opera. And he started singing it in English, and all the English knew it, and they started singing with him. And together they all started singing, and one by one, people started coming out of those trenches and walking toward each other. And the Germans, it says in one of the uh, historical records that they started to say Merry Christmas in English. And the English said Merry Christmas. And then Germans, on one segment of the line, they had made a sign that said, you no shoot, we no shoot. <laughs> you, you can look all this up. There's some amazing stuff about how this, how this actually happened. We, we actually have a, a pick uh, it's an illustration of, of what happened. And if this pic is, is pretty famous. It's not a picture. It's an illustration that was in the New York Times, which tried to illustrate what it must have, have been like. But the Germans would sing. The Americans would sing. And, and this whole Christmas day, no one shot. The, there's diary records of uh, accounts where they shared buttons, hats, cigarettes, they just exchanged gifts the best they could. It was also a day in which they were able to bury some of the bodies that had been just strewn across the land, which they had never had a chance to give a, a decent burial to. So it, just, it was a memorable moment. And then the next day, the shooting began again, which is sad, but that's what happened. And I, I think about how a song, what was it about that song singing Silent Night that brought so much peace that the hate went away. I, I started thinking, you know, why don't sometimes in our culture, why don't we stop the war in our hearts, our minds, in our politics, in our prejudices, in our nation, and in our world in order to sing a song together? We need to understand the power of what it means to come together. We are created in the image of God, all of us, powerful. I don't know how it happened, 
History can't explain it. They can only tell you the accounts that are written down. But it happened because of a song like Silent Night. Now that's the historical side. There's a lot of other things about this song I won't go into, but I want to I transition into the application of this message today because I think there's some real takeaways from that Luke 2 passage with the, the shepherds. And, and the first point, I have three points under this. Number one is recognize that God is available. Recognize that God is available. Now it's really easy for you to just go, oh yeah, God's available. But I want you to stop for a second. I want to say it again. And I want you to think about this. God. God is available. Like you won't even call me back. But God is available. You with me? It's hard to get in to see a lot of people today. Availability's gone away, but God, the creator of all, God is available to me. The shepherds couldn't believe this. This, this. You have to understand, in the day and age when this announcement was made, the shepherds were the lowest blue-collar workers on the planet. They couldn't bathe they, they were known to be thieves and crooks. They weren't fair. They tried to rip people off. They weren't trusted. And anyone who said they're a shepherd, I mean, they were, they were embarrassed to say it. And I think that's why God up in heaven said to the angels, hey, why don't we go there? Why don't we bring the greatest message ever to be brought to these people? Why don't we start with the shepherds? Why? Because God is available to everyone, everywhere, all the time. Man, that's powerful to me. Let's start with the shepherds. Why? Because God is available. I remember, I don't know why I have these flashbacks occasionally of my teenage years. My mom, my dad had already died. I was probably 15 or 16 years old. I'm standing in the kitchen, and my mom, we had, we, we, she cooked mashed potatoes a lot. Do you like mashed potatoes? And I know a lot of people leave the peelings on now, but back in the day, you always peeled those potatoes. And, and she said, there's a whole pile of potatoes. She said, would you peel the potatoes? And I'm like, yeah. And so I, I went to the drawer that had the potato peeler in it, right? You know, that, you know what that is, right? It has that little slit in it, and you can just slide the peel and take half your thumb just, in, just like that. It's like, <laughs> boom, gone. And, and so I, was, I looked all over for the potato peeler, and I couldn't find it. So I found this knife, and I'm trying to scrape the peeling off with this knife. I'm trying to cut the peeling off, and it wasn't working. And she saw me struggling, and she said, why don't you just get the potato peeler? And I said, well, it's not in there. I looked in the drawer. And she said, no, I, I think it's in there. I said, Mom, I looked. So she looked. How many of you guys understand this? You know, it's not in there until she looks. And all of a sudden, there's four of them hiding behind something. It's like, wow. So <laughs> she opens the drawer, hands me the potato peeler. Here's the point. It was available. I just didn't see it. I just didn't know it. I just couldn't find it. Sometimes that's how it is with God. It's like he is available, but I just can't find him. I just can't feel his presence. I just don't know where he went. Where is God? He's available. Now, I want to I take that a, a little further in point two. 
I need to acknowledge that God is present. Being available is one thing, but can I get my head around the fact that he really is like right here, right here? I know the day's coming when Jesus will set up his rule on the earth, but right now the spirit abides here and God is available to us through faith in a spiritual dimension that we can't see, not flesh and blood, but God is present here with us. He's right here. And sometimes, you know, I I think about when our kids were little and they used to try to sneak upstairs and I would be having coffee and they'd try to not be seen and I like to get right here and go, boo! You know, and coffee goes everywhere. And they loved it. My grandkids are doing that now, you know. So now I sit where I can see the stairs in both houses and I know when they're coming. But I act like I don't know. What is it about that sneaking up? They want to be right here and they can be right here and you don't even know it. That's how God is. He, he, sometimes we don't know it, we don't sense it, but God is right here. God's not trying to scare you, but he's right here. You might just take a moment and look over your shoulder like this and go, he's right there. I was thinking about this and it took me back to college days. Bonnie and I had gotten married and I went back to school in Springfield, Missouri, Bible school. And how many of you are familiar with with Branson, Missouri? So Springfield is just north of Branson and, and we decided to do something really fun. We both love water good swimmers, Bonnie was a lifeguard. So we said, why don't, why don't we get a scuba diving, uh, diving certification? And so we did, we signed up and, and we, we made the mistake in some ways of getting the, the advanced open water certification, which involved a lot more dives and night dives and equipment checking and all this stuff, it was more complicated. But the last thing we had to do to get our certification was to do another night dive and to do it, we went down to Table Rock Lake. Anyone been on that lake? It's a beautiful lake, huge lake, deep lake. And it was cold. This was like November. And it's humid down there. And the water gets really cold. And our wetsuits, it worked for me, but Bonnie's wetsuit was really baggy on her. So it's refilling up with water. And the way a wetsuit works is just one layer and then it keeps you warm. But man, she was cold. And we got down in that water and, and we're going to go 60 feet down along this bank, it was a cliff. And all we had was a flashlight that our instructor said, turn the flashlight off as you descend. Every now and then you can turn it on to make sure you're staying by the wall. So Bonnie, she doesn't like this anyway, and she's cold and she said, you do not let go of me. I'm holding on to your shoulder, your arm. So she's, she's like a crab on my back. Like, and we're descending, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're going down, and she's holding on. We can't see anything. It's just black, and it's creepy down there. Before we got in the water, literally, our, our dive master said, now, Table Rock Lake is known for a lot of things. It's really deep. We're right by the dam. And he said, it's four to 600 feet deep here. And he said, there have been, you know, sightings of catfish that look like they're as big as a Volkswagen. Now, I didn't believe that. I know catfish can't get that big. But even if it's half as big as the Volkswagen, I'm thinking, I don't really like this. And Bonnie's like scared to death. And we're going down and all the, and the, the turbines of the dam were running. So it's like this, you know, it's like a, when you're underwater and a boat goes by and you hear that sound. And so we're going down and we're like 60 feet. And our instructor wants to do this silhouette thing. And you can only rise so fast, all this stuff. Anyway, we're down there and, 
our lights are off. I turn the light on. Bonnie's head is like right here. She's, and and I, I literally, I turn the light off of the, the edge of the cliff and I turn it back to see what's over here. And I, I'm not kidding. Right here is a catfish that's mouth is this wide and like the whiskers go out. I'm not exaggerating, it was like a monster. And I, it, was, it was freaky to me, it's right here. And Bonnie's head is right here. And all of a sudden, all I hear is It's like, whoa, my, you know, I'm getting clawed to death and air's going out of everything. I'm, I'm, finally, you know, the catfish goes away and we got the light and I'm, I'm looking at her gauge and we had only been down there like 10 minutes and she's sucking air like, and it's like, we gotta go up. You know, that was, Bonnie's never done a night dive since that night. That catfish was right there. Right there. Didn't know it. Didn't see it. But it was right there. God is right there. When you don't see him, when you don't know it, he's right there. And I don't want you to lose that today. No matter what you're facing right now, some of you are going through some really tough stuff. He's right there. Trust him. He's with you in this. Last thing, number three. Practice abiding in peace. Practice abiding in peace. You might say, well, isn't peace like you have it or you don't? No, I don't think so. I think it's a discipline that can be learned to actually have peace. I think it takes some time, I think it takes some work, and I think it takes some things to help you acquire that peace. And there's some ways that I think you can do that. The peace of God is available to you, and it's right here through God and his strength, but it does take faith. And that's, that's, that's really important in this topic of how are we going to have that peace in a world that's filled with so much conflict and strife? So I, I, I came across this little study from a counseling center in Kentucky. Don't know if it's Christian-based or not, but they had eight things that are important if you want to have real peace. And so I've tweaked them a little to make them more just Bible-like and God-like, but they're basically the, the eight things. And, and I want to just share those with you. They're not in your outline or anything, but if you just listen as we walk through this and think about applying these to your life. The first one is just spend time with nature. Now, you know, living in Colorado, you just have to look outside today and look to the west, and you can find a lot of peace in that. We, why is it that people have mountain scenes and beach scenes and sunsets on the walls in their house? Peace, peace. That picture brings me peace. Nature is a big part. Who created nature? God. So there's something of a connection. For me, growing up in Colorado, it's my place. When I hike, when I go, and Bonnie and I take walks, and those trees, those mountains, anything nature, a creek, the, the sound of a river, I'm telling you, it's tranquil for me. It can just calm me down. I feel my blood pressure just going down. It's like nature does that, and it's God's creation. The second one is meditation on God. 
And by this, I don't mean like a Zen thing. What I mean is just the moments when you have with God, when you acknowledge he's right there, when you just know he's there, you just take comfort in the fact of meditating on him and who he is and his characteristics. As Pastor Donnie read that passage out of Isaiah 9, those qualities, those characteristics that he is, not just what he does. The third one is be grateful. Listen, this one is huge in terms of finding peace. Gratitude can break the back of materialism. And we are in a materialistic world, amen? Be thankful for what you have. It doesn't mean you can't buy another shirt. I mean, it doesn't. But, it, but the idea here is, am I, am I grateful for the things God has already put in my hand? Or am I just driven to go to that next level and next level and all of a sudden it all becomes about that and all about me? Just stop for a minute and live with gratitude. Look at what God has given you. Just the fact that you're in America is a pretty big deal. Be thankful. Be grateful. Number four, this is tougher. Take responsibility for your own actions. That will eventually bring you peace. Well, what, what does that really mean? It means own it. Whatever is troubling you, well, you cheated on this test or on your taxes or on your, you got this double life going. You got, be on it. Own wh- where you really are and who you really are. Do you like who you are? Are you comfortable in your own skin? There's so many people living double lives, triple lives in our world today. And I think having real peace means that I lay all that aside and I say, who am I really? Created in God's image, and am I comfortable in my own skin? If you can't say that, if you can't find that, today's for you. I want to pray for you later. This is a very important point to take responsibility for your own actions. Very few people are doing that. It's the blame game world, it's always someone else's fault. Let's just stop that. And number five, don't let your past mistakes define you now. If you want to live with peace, especially the peace of God, you've got to believe when you ask for forgiveness, it's real. You're forgiven. And I I can't tell you how many times, you know, as a pastor, I feel like like I've never really had a job, to be honest with you. I feel like I've had a calling and and a passion, and, and I'm so blessed to be able to just do what I do. And I've had so many times where I'm talking with people who say, you know, I'm just really troubled by something, and can I tell you about it? And I'm like, sure. And they tell me, and I'm like, man, when, how long have you been, you know, living with this? And so many times they'll be like, well, 12 years, you know, 18 years. I'm like, I, I thought this happened yesterday, and you're trying to work it out. You know, no, this is this has scarred their life for so long. It's taken away their peace, and they just can't get over the hump. God doesn't want you to live there. God wants you to know that when he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. Act forgiven and move on with your life. And that that leads into number six, and that is love yourself as God loves you. Sounds kind of like arrogant or, you know, should I really love myself? What does the Bible say? When Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, remember his answer, he quotes the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And then what's the second part? Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Are you kidding me? This is saying you can't love someone appropriately 
biblically, godly. You can't love them unless you love you. Now, it doesn't mean you can't improve your life or you're, you're not working on anything. We all are, are working on stuff. But love who God made you to be. Number seven, practice acceptance and contentment. You know, if, if you practice those two traits and you can live content and you can accept the circumstances you're in to say, can I have peace even in these circumstances, it'll go a long ways in understanding your joy and understanding where the peace is coming from. Because you're not gonna be able to change your circumstances all the time. Having peace doesn't mean I change my situation. I mean, sometimes it does, it's easier. But people who live with true peace have learned how to understand the situation they're in. You remember when you were young, thought, oh, when I get married, I won't have this problem anymore. And then when I have kids, it'll all be great. When, when they get married, it'll be better. When we have grandkids, that'll be the ticket. When, when, we get, when I retire, I'm gonna do everything I want. I'm not gonna have any issues. Wow, it's just not true, is it? How many of you know it's just not true? It just, it just multiplies. All your history now is added on to your life now. The last one, this, is, this sounds so non-spiritual. This, this last one should be like a spiritual one. I need to change the order of these. Anyway, declutter. Declutter. Clutter takes your peace away. Some of you are gonna walk back into your house and see that pile of stuff on your dresser. And all your joy is gonna go away today. Well, if I walked into your garage, and then I have guys say, but I know where everything is. <laughs> so what, dude? You need to clean this thing out. I'm not a hoarder at all, and I'm a pretty neat person, but every now and then I get busy, and that's like not on my priority, like, like my office. Here, just here's, the, here's one example this week. So stuff has been accumulating on my desk, right upstairs here in my desk, and I've been pushing it to the side. And, and Christmas, you get a lot of cards and a lot of fun things and a lot of church stuff, and, and I love it. I love every bit of it, but wow, it just, so I just make a new pile and put it over and make a new pile. And, so I pulled up in front of my desk this week and like, there's no desk. And my, my assistant actually came in and said, would you like me to like, go through everything here? I'm like, no, I have to do this. And I literally decided I'm not going home tonight until everything is either filed or put away or thrown away. And when I got done cleaning that desk, I was at peace. I'm preaching better today than I would be if I had to go back and look at that desk. It's clean. Declutter your life. Declutter. And those are physical things, but how about your mind? How about the anxiety? How about the worry? How about the tensions that some of you sleep with and you're waking up at night? I don't want that for you. So I'm going to, I want to just wrap up with a question. And I'm, I'm serious. I want you to work at this for just a second. And almost like lean into this and, and really give it some thought. Where is it that you believe you can truly find your silent night, your place of peace, your place of contentment and oh, deep breathing, and it's all okay. Is it on a walk? Is it in a recliner with a cup of coffee? Is it, I don't know where it is for you. It's different for all of us, but I want you to know where it is being at peace with God, 
peace with others and your silent night can be a reality where there's nothing there but the presence of God and even the situation though it's the same I hand it over God this is yours now (laughs) I'm not taking this to my sleep time and trusting I'm going to pray three things over us okay here's what they are You might need all three. You might need one of the three. The first one is, I need peace with God. If you are separated from God today because of sin, because of the things that are trapping you, the enemy attacking you, would you repent today? Would you consider saying, I am sorry, God. I don't want to be this person anymore. He's calling you, and he wants you to be at peace with him. The second one is, I need peace with myself. I'm not owning who I really am. I'm living a lie. I'm sick of me. Just do it right now. Just say, God, I don't like who I'm becoming. Give it to him. The third one, I need peace with others. My life is a wreck because of broken relationships, and I need peace with others. Let me just say a one word about this. Having peace with others doesn't mean you have to fully reconcile with them and be friends again. You may never respect them again. The Bible doesn't ask you that. It asks you to make sure your side of the stick is clean. And you move on. Because you can't control what they do. So many times people say, well, I'm I'm never going to have peace with them because of what happened. And I go, no, I get that. It doesn't mean you have to reconcile. That's good if you can, but it might just mean you're going to let that go and you're going to trust God and you're going to take care of your side. If you need to apologize, apologize. What they do is on them, not you. I'm going to pray that. Let's pray now. Lord, we want your peace. We want peace with you. We want peace with ourselves. We want peace with others. And may we have a silent night in this room right here, right now, this moment to search our soul, to listen to your voice, to hear you say to us what you want to say to us. We receive that by faith and we trust you as we take this step. We give it all to you in the powerful name of Jesus, we ask, amen. Did you guys get a book marker that says Silent Night on it when you walked in? Would you mind just putting that in your hand for a second? I just want to, I want to lead us through. Now, you know this bookmark is designed to give away. So that's been explained to you a couple weeks. This is, <laughs> I do not want you to, you know, show me sometime in January your little picture frame collection of 20 of these bookmarkers. That's not the point, Okay. <laughs> So here's, here's what I want to say. Let it be natural. I don't want you to take the bookmark, walk into King Supers and find some random person and say, God wants me to give you a bookmark. That's not what this is. This is simply a way in conversation this week with family, friends, office, whatever. If it pops up and you're carrying this around, you might just think of it and go, hey, we're giving these bookmarkers at church and uh, we'd love for you to come with us on Christmas Eve if you want to. And just leave it at that. But that's what they're for. So I want to pray for these contacts. I want to pray for the people who are going to end up with some of these bookmarks.
Let's do that. Lord, we don't know where we're going to put this. We don't know whose hand it's going to go in. But if you do have a divine appointment for us, wherever that is, we just, we just look forward to you using it as a tool and let it be another bridge builder for someone in relationship. We trust you. Lead us and guide us, and may we be mindful of it and give it away appropriately. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand together if you're able one more time and sing this great song, Silent Night. It's a good one. Think about the words in light of this message as you sing it. And sing it out. I really want to hear your voices. Oh. Shepherds. Shepherds. 